Wasabi Wallet. Unfairly Private. What's up, everyone? I'm Ben with the BTC Sessions, and this is your daily session. Huddle that Bitcoin. Before we dive in, I want to give a shout out to sponsors of the show, Ledin.io. I've been working with these guys for well over a year using them myself, and uh, they offer a bunch of different services for which to use your Bitcoin. Um, the first thing I ever used of theirs was their Bitcoin backed loans. So in my instance, I was in the pinch. I needed dollars and I didn't want to sell my Bitcoin because one, that's a taxable event. And two, I was worried I would have to buy back in at a higher price point. So with this product, I was able to deposit my Bitcoin, get dollars in my bank account within 24 hours. And when I paid that back, I got back the exact same amount of Bitcoin. Now they've got a couple other offerings. They've got their Bitcoin and USDC savings accounts, which they've just upped the interest on uh, to a high end of 8.8%. And then they've got their B2X offering, which uses the same loan mechanism to to instantly buy more Bitcoin, which effectively doubles your Bitcoin on the spot. So if you want to check these guys out, there's a link in the show notes down below. And actually, if you use that link and you opt to get a loan, they'll give you 50 bucks worth of Bitcoin for free. And secondly, if you want to help out the show in another way and you're looking to secure your Bitcoin, which is, is a good goal to have anyways. If you're not already securing your Bitcoin via a hardware wallet device, then I highly recommend you do, regardless of what you use. Uh, it's better than just having it on your phone or your computer unprotected. But um, if you wanna help out the show at the same time, you can check out the Ledger, the Nano S or the Nano X. I do have both. I use them for various purposes along with my other hardware wallets. And you can check them out. They've got a ton of different deals on right now for trio packs, things like that. If you're looking into multi-sig, so on and so forth. So anyways, be sure to check them out. Uh, and there is a link in the show notes down below for that. With that, let's dive into the news. Uh, now, given that my show is on YouTube, this is particularly interesting to me. Um, there has been a slew of YouTube scams as of late. And this is topical because we saw the other day that Twitter got hacked and a lot of major uh, accounts, including Bill Gates, Barack Obama, Joe Biden, Kanye West, I think Kim Kardashian, there was a ton of them, but they were all tweeting out scams that involved trying to get Bitcoin out of people. Uh, they only made off with $120,000, but when it comes to YouTube, there have been, again, a lot of scams and they're actually run as ads. They look very legitimate and uh, oftentimes the, the, I guess, malicious individuals will come into uh, a previously existing YouTube um, YouTube channel that already has X number of followers and views and so on and so forth. They'll buy the channel and then they'll revamp it to look very, very legitimate, whether it be um, somebody like Ripple, which we'll get into in a moment, or Elon Musk or SpaceX or whatever else it may be. But the same kind of scam as on Twitter that we saw where, hey, send Bitcoin here or whatever other cryptocurrency here and you will receive it back doubled to your wallet, which you know, a lot of people in Bitcoin understand that that's a ridiculous prospect, but some people are relative newcomers and, uh, you know, the greed can guess, get the best of anybody. Um, if the mood or the opportunity strikes them right, uh, you got to be careful out there. So anyways, what's been happening is 
these scams have been running as pre-roll ads uh, in front of a ton of different videos, including on occasion my own. So I had somebody screenshot the other day and say, "Ugh, these things. Um, and it's, it's, yeah, it's very unfortunate. Um, now, YouTube is arguing that they are not liable for this whatsoever. So I'll read a little bit from this article on Cointelegraph. They say, YouTube's legal team has argued the platform is immune from liability for cryptocurrency scams perpetuated as part of its video content or descriptions. Attorneys for Ripple and CEO Brad Garlinghouse filed a lawsuit against YouTube in April in response to the platform's failure to stop XRP scammers and impersonators. Ripple argued that the platform benefits from the actions of the scammers by profiting from paid ads. But according to a July 21st update on Law 360, lawyers for the video sharing platform argued in a dismissal bid that Section 230 of the Communications Decency Act, which generally protects platform publishers from liability over information provided by third parties, applied to the case. YouTube's legal team argued that its unwitting verification of scam channels does not change the fact that the content was created by third parties, not the video sharing platform itself. Lawyers from the site claim that because Ripple is not alleging YouTube solicited, encouraged, or participated in the third party's fraudster scam, the platform has no liability. Um, so this is an interesting one. Now, uh, I, if I'm not mistaken, Section 230 has provisions that pertain to uh, if you're a platform and you're not a publisher, then um, you should not be liable for what people put up on your platform. Um, much like Twitter, much like Facebook, if somebody puts up something, and part of this is how do you even attempt to stop this? But if some somebody puts up something that is technically illegal uh, on on Facebook or on Twitter, an image that shouldn't be there, yes, it can be moderated and taken down. But for the amount of time that it was up and the damage it caused during that time, should the platform be liable? And if that were to come to fruition, how do platforms deal with this? Do we have just like extensive moderation and wait times between posting or algorithms that will just kind of flag at will, which we've already seen on YouTube, including my own channel got taken down for a period of 24 to 48 hours uh, for a bad algorithm like this. So I'm, I'm very torn in this. On, on one instance, I worry about the overreach of this kind of stuff, but to I can't believe I'm siding with Ripple on this at least a little bit, but to to Ripple Labs' point, um, they are running these ads and they're being paid for them. They're profiting off of these ads that are playing, okay? And you would think that in in profiting off that illegal activity, they would at least have to forego those profits, I, I, that to me that seems like a maybe not fully fair but fair-ish prospect. Um, now the other thing about this is again these provisions, if I'm not mistaken, apply to people that are not publishers but rather platforms. But when you act as a publisher and you remove views that you do not like that are not in any way illegal, but views that you do not like, we've seen censorship of more kind of right-wing 
uh, ideologies on not only YouTube, but Twitter and, and other platforms. And when you get into that kind of content curation realm, then it starts to blur the line between platform and publisher. And if you're a publisher, then I, I believe there's some more liabilities in there. Uh, again, I could be mistaken, but I think, I think they're walking a pretty fine line here. And it'll be very interesting to see how this all plays out in court as it continues to do so. Anyways, let me know what you think. Do you think that they should be slapped with fines? And are you worried about the repercussions if that comes to fruition because content could just be blanket banned because they don't want to deal with it at all? Um, let me know. Let's move on. Uh, so Bitcoin is targeting one tr over $1 trillion in settlement this year, uh, as well as stablecoin growth has continued to blow up, as I'm sure some of you may have well noticed. So Bitcoin has already settled $712 billion so far in 2020, and we're not even to the end of July yet. We've still got quite a few months ahead of us, uh, while stablecoins have already seen their biggest year ever. Um, so I'll read a little bit further into this Cointelegraph uh, article here. Cryptocurrency public blockchains will settle in 2020, um, more in 2020 than ever before and have already topped $1.3 trillion in aggregate. Um, compiled by analytics firm Masari on July 21st, the figures reveal that Bitcoin has settled $712 billion so far this year, while uh, Ethereum is uh, on 147 billion. Now, the interesting part to me is this uh, graphic that was put up here by Masari, and it has a breakdown of kind of settlement amounts. And so when you track back to 2017, you see Bitcoin settled a total of uh, $671 billion on chain um, with 13 and perhaps 13 billion uh, on, uh, I, I guess, additional layers above Bitcoin or stable coins on Bitcoin. Uh, Ethereum settled 335 billion, which was eh, somewhere in the realm of around half of what Bitcoin did. Now we move forward to, uh, let's see, 2019. Now Ethereum itself got chopped by a nearly two thirds to 133 billion. However, stable coins on Ethereum settled for 146 billion. Meanwhile, Bitcoin is uh, basically higher than it was previously, 673 billion and 99 billion on stable coins based upon uh, Bitcoin in some way, shape or form. Now, here's the interesting thing. Uh, we move to this year so far. Now, Bitcoin has already outpaced what it did uh, in all of last year, and it's only end of July. Uh, Ethereum is still, again, I guess it has outpaced what it did last year already. It's at $147 billion. Um, but the stable coins on Ethereum have basically exploded to $423 billion. So what we're seeing is when it comes to Ethereum, people aren't really hugely demanding the actual Ethereum, you know, the, the underlying asset itself, they're utilizing it to move other shit around like, like fiat coupons to tokens. And again, like I, I understand why some people use 
stable coins. I'm not excited about them by any means, but I understand that legacy banking is inefficient. And if you need to move money around and maintain a value in your local currency, I understand that and you know, traders gonna trade, right? Um, but yeah, I what I'm noticing here that's sticking out to me is one, um, volume in uh, volume in stable coins on Bitcoin has actually reduced and more so moved over to uh, Ethereum. Ethereum itself as a settlement layer has basically vastly underperformed since 2017 um 2018 was a big year for it but again like the last couple of years it's kind of dropped off a cliff and uh it seems to be more or less just like a stablecoin platform whereas bitcoin seems to be settling more and more in bitcoin itself as money as a base settlement layer um so very interesting to see those developments I expect we'll see kind of more of that. I think, yeah, maybe we'll see stable coins uh, migrate to some, at least it'll take a portion of it to things like liquid. But Ethereum seems to very much be uh, like a stable coin method of moving. The thing is they're having uh, excessive fees on chain now. And so they're having to grapple with what Bitcoin kind of knew for years now is that base, base, layer transactions are going to be expensive as as demand explodes like we saw crypto kitties digital cats that were uh, unique basically take down the whole network back in was that 2017 2018 anyways it was ridiculous and a single popular app was basically able to bring the network to a crawl so of course if you're seeing this kind of volume in stable coins on on Ethereum, on top of all the like crazy shit, like DeFi stuff that's happening, um, yeah, then yeah, you're obviously you're going to see uh, some sort of a a ramp up in fees. Anyways, let me know what you think. Uh, let's move on. So we discussed CoinSquare previously. Uh, they were accused of wash trading and then Insider actually leaked some communications of, of uh, after they had opted to turn it off because they were worried about regulators coming in, um, higher ups basically telling the person to turn it back on. Um, well, CoinSquare exchange execs have resigned over this wash trading scandal. So I'm going to read a few of the finer points here from Coindesk. Uh, Canada-based crypto trading platform CoinSquare has agreed to settle with the Ontario Securities Commission after it was found senior executives told employees to make fake trades on the platform. Between quarter four of 2018 and quarter one of 2019, 90% of CoinSquare's reported volume was faked in an illegal practice known as wash trading. As part of the settlement reached Tuesday, CoinSquare admitted that around 840,000 illicit wash trades were conducted on the platform, amounting to a total value of 590,000 Bitcoin, which is almost $5.5 billion as of the uh, writing of that article. Uh, the agreement also states the CEO and the founder and uh, another executive um, 
unknowingly authorized, permitted, or acquiesced CoinSquare staff to carry out the wash trading, made uh, made misleading statements, and sought retribution against a whistleblower seeking to expose the misconduct. Uh, so basically, one of them's going to have to pay a million. One of them's going to have to pay nine hundred thousand. Um, yeah, they. One of them also voluntarily paid, already voluntarily paid 50 grand to uh, the OSC, and they are banned for a number of years from uh, basically being uh, registrants, officers, or directors of companies or market participants for two to three years, whereas the the last uh, guy, Mazer, received only a one-year ban. But anyways, they kind of got slapped down for that. Not ideal uh, for for them, that is. Um, and I would be very surprised if a lot of this wasn't happening elsewhere. This one just seemed to, to get out. Um, I mean, they were already under investigation a little bit, uh, but that, that internal person that leaked it definitely helped put that last nail in the coffin for those uh, CEOs. So let's move on. Uh, so again, we were talking about the Twitter hack uh, and how that person made off with about $120,000 worth of Bitcoin by uh, impersonating people, taking over their Twitter accounts and posting Bitcoin addresses and claiming that they would double the Bitcoin sent there. Um, well, as we know, Bitcoin is not anonymous. You can track the transactions. And uh, the individual has done some funny things. Now, previously he was not very great with uh, uh, mixing coin joining, trying to obfuscate the source uh, sources and destinations of his coins. He was utilizing um, uh, various different uh, known exchanges, things like that. Um, but he seems to be, or she, who knows, um, they seem to be diving into the realm of, of mixing now. So uh, I'll read a little bit here. Last week, hackers hijacked Twitter, taking control of accounts and several high profile individuals. Um, yeah, person made off with 12 and a half Bitcoin around 120 grand. Grand. Now the Bitcoin is on the move, and here's how the hackers are trying to escape with their spoils. According to blockchain analytics firm CypherTrace, the hackers are using a combination of Bitcoin mixing services, gambling sites, exchanges, and even defunct addresses in an attempt to both hide the money and turn it into other currencies. Uh, the first port of call was Bitcoin, a Bitcoin mixing service. Um, these let people swap Bitcoin for someone else's Bitcoin. Basically, it mixes, it creates a transaction with a whole bunch of different inputs from various people and then spits out the same amounts to those people, but you don't know whose coins are whose, um, which is kind of just how Bitcoin itself functions, um, even when you have bits of coin yourself. And there are other tools like pay to endpoint being utilized by merchant services, decentralized merchant services like BTC Pay Server that helps protect uh, the not only the merchant but also the individual buying or selling or buying or, uh, goods or services. Um, the customer also gets to obfuscate their funds, and this protects them from prying eyes, knowing how much Bitcoin they have, so on and so forth. So. It's not just illicit means for this kind of stuff. There's good to it as well because it can be very dangerous to let the entire world know your net worth, obviously. Um, anyways, on July 16th, one day after the hack, attackers sent 2.89 Bitcoin, roughly 22% of the haul, 
to Wasabi Wallet, um, and which has obviously a built-in mixer. Uh, it's a very effective way of stopping any observers from following the money trail. And a day later, they sent only 0.1 Bitcoin to another Bitcoin obfuscator called Chip Mixer. I haven't heard of this one. Um, anyways, after all that, CypherTrace was unable, unable to follow the Bitcoin any further. Um, the next few days, CypherTrace tracked piecemeal amounts of the rest of the scam funds to peer-to-peer -peer exchanges and gambling sites. Just over one Bitcoin, roughly eight and a half percent of the Twitter plunder was sent to an unnamed Singapore-based crypto exchange. Uh, now, a certain amount also went to an inactive cold wallet from Binance, and they believe that transaction was not to cash out funds, but rather to like troll everybody because the individual at this point likely knows that the funds are being tracked. Um, anyways, uh, I think some of the early actions of this guy or girl or group, I honestly think that's what's going to get them in the end. Um, having done things with like Coinbase and a few other not great decisions that they made with their coins. I feel like they will be caught at some point, but uh, we will see. Moving on. Uh, now in the name of tracking and, uh, and regulatory worries, uh, crypto exchange group is eyeing a bulletin board system for compliance for some new European regulations, namely something called the travel rule. So let's read a bit here. Top cryptocurrency exchanges are expected to release a white paper next month detailing a method to ease compliance with the financial action task force travel rule. Now, uh, this is aiming to help the industry with compliance burdens based on the guidelines for anti-money laundering. Uh, Bitco and Coinbase are a couple of these uh, exchanges. The white paper will set out a framework designed to increase exchange transparency and setting out how they could share data over a peer-to-peer -peer network and a type of bulletin board. Um, now, participants would share addresses on the board and if another member claims an address, the two entities could then share data peer-to-peer to keep personal information out of the reach of hackers. Uh, the travel rule uh, is issued uh, for virtual asset providers in, and it was issued in June of 2019. It requires crypto businesses to collect identifying data on both a transaction sender and receiver and pass that information on with the transactions. Uh, the rule is designed to limit terrorist activity and money, of course it is, but <laughs> Again, when you look at uh, terrorist activity and money laundering funding, it's again, I've got to interject here. It's mostly with the US dollar and done in plain sight via banking. Um, Anyways, besides the point, uh, let's keep going. Uh, it requires businesses to uh, collect identifying on the center receiver um, meant to curb terrorist activity and money laundering. Uh, and it forces the identities of individuals on amounts of over $1,000 to travel with the transaction between the sender and receiver. Other exchanges involved here, Gemini, Kraken, Bittrex. Um, yeah, anyways, I guess the moral of the story here is if you're using any sort of, of exchange or service that requires your identification in any way, shape or form, just expect and understand that everything you do is essentially being tracked. If you want a semblance of financial privacy, 
obviously you have to have some sort of a a coin join situation going on and get yourself set up so that if you're saving long term and you need to have it away but you don't want you don't want anybody to be able to peek into your finances and target you for potential theft uh, then yeah you need to be mixing your coins you can use something like wasabi wallet which i regularly use um, samurai wallet has mobile mixing as well uh, there's join market there's a bunch of different options here but again just understand that people are tracking this stuff probably far more than you realize other things that you can do uh, obviously the the biggest pain point is where you buy and sell your bitcoin uh, so if you're really worried about that then yes, you might want to go through peer-to-peer -peer alternatives like HODL, HODL, or BISC, or um, you know, packs full in some way, shape, or form. In that you could forge uh, some sort of a relationship with somebody and then go to that person, perhaps off-site if you choose. <sighs> kind of up to you. And then on top of that, you have to worry about leaking data via your IP address. So if you're just going through ClearNet, which is just like the regular internet, and you're not utilizing a VPN or you're not utilizing Tor, then certain transactions could be linked to your IP address, which is basically telling everybody who you are. So lots of stuff to worry about, but take it bit by bit, gradually learn about each piece and just do what you can because privacy is a sliding scale and nobody gets it perfect 100% of the time. Let's move on here. Uh, very excited, Citadel 21 just dropped volume four. Uh, I love this, uh, I guess they call it a cultural zine uh, for Bitcoiners because it's just, it's so, it's so quirky and weird. It pretty much encapsulates uh, the hardcore Bitcoiners that have been around very, very well. Uh, there's always some unique little gems in here to read through. I was also very stoked to see that this article by uh, Wizard of Oz or at BTC Shelling Point on Twitter uh, included a mention of me because he was talking about his uh, uh, talking about Bitcoin security via hardware wallets, and uh, he was nice enough not only to give me a shout out here, but to also include links to a number of my tutorials that I've put together for various hardware wallets. So again, thank you to Wizard of Oz and uh, and. Yeah, thanks to Citadel 21 for putting out another great issue. And God, I am so excited for them to do physical issues. This is exactly the kind of thing I want sitting on my bookshelves behind me. Uh, and so the moment that is available, I will be purchasing every copy that has come out so far. So I'm, you know, looking forward to seeing that. Uh, last couple things here. Awesome stuff out of BitcoinQ&A.com. This guy put together a an infographic on how MyNode works, or rather how the pieces of MyNode interact with each other. So he shows that you've got a Bitcoin node in the middle, which is a full copy of the Bitcoin blockchain and its consensus rules. Then you've got a lightning node, which refers to the Bitcoin blockchain and, uh, and the consensus rules of the lightning network. Um, and then you've got all of the pieces of software that interact with each one, and it shows how they interact and explains what they're for. So very useful stuff if you're using my node but you haven't had time to dive into all of these different uh, pieces of software that are included with it that would include myself this gives you a nice little 
overview of what everything does so that you can see what interests me the most and what do I want to dive into and try out. Uh, so be sure to check that out. Awesome, I'll have that link down below. And then finally, uh, a fun article from the Bitsy Academy, again, written by the guys at Verify. So kudos to you guys for writing this. Thanks for submitting it. Um, anyways, it's talking about using Bitcoin Core and how it's your doorway to self-sovereignty. And they talk about uh, how it can be sometimes intimidating as newcomers to not dive into this realm. Some people overlook the importance of it. So they talk about how Bitcoin Core running it actually makes you a real peer in the network. You're not just utilizing the currency and holding your keys, but you're actually um, confirming and, and utilizing the consensus rules yourself, making you a real peer. Uh, so it goes through a whole bunch of different stuff. Um, you know, how many nodes are out there currently, how to get started depending on your resources, money, situation, time, all that kind of stuff. Uh, it gives you a number of different things. I th took the liberty of throwing in the MyNode tutorial I guess, hearkening back to the previous story we're talking about, but all in all, good read, recommend it, do check it out. And if you find it useful and you have some friends that aren't using a node yet, be sure to share this article with them. It might give them that little push to, to get started and claim their own self monetary self-sovereignty. Uh, anyways, guys, I'm going to wrap it there. Uh, thank you so much for watching and or listening as always. If you're here on YouTube, do hit like, subscribe, and share. All of those things really, really help. I'm not even kidding. They really do. So please do uh, like, subscribe, and share. Now, if you want to hit me up on other platforms, I can't always trust YouTube, as we mentioned previously. I'm on Facebook Live. I stream live to Twitter. Uh, I'm on Twitch, DLive. Take a look around, you'll find me. And I'm also audio only when it comes to the news stuff like this on pretty much any podcast platform you could find, Spotify, Apple, Google, wherever. Just go ahead, search me up, uh, subscribe there. That would be helpful. And finally, uh, if you want to help with the show in any other way, you can hit the sponsors down below or you can drop me a Bitcoin Lightning Network tip at my tippin.me page. That is Tippin, T-I-P-P-I-N dot me slash at BTC sessions. With that, I'm out. Have yourselves a wonderful evening or a wonderful rest of the day, wherever you are. And I'll see you next time for your daily session.